Serving in adversity breeds fraternity. Serving in adversity breeds fraternity. In Shakespeare's words, soldiers who serve together are a band of brothers, sharing lifelong honor. And the more harrowing the war and the fewer the survivors, the greater the honor that soldiers share. Robert E. Lee, Civil War General, once said that it's good that war is so terrible, we should grow too fond of it. Too fond of it. What is he talking about? Why would he talk about being fond of something in war? The reason is, in war, bonds are formed between soldiers that are stronger and deeper than family. You know that you are serving with people that you would die for. And you know that the people serving with you would die for you. There's glory even in losing a worthy fight. 2,500 years ago, Leonidas led 300 Spartan men to fight the entire Persian army that numbered, by the most conservative estimates, at least 100,000 soldiers. The king of the Persian army said, we don't want your lives We only want your weapons. Lay them down. And Leonidas said, come and get them. 2,500 years later, the commitment to stand and die is still inspiring. I was reading a colonel in the United States Marine Corps wrote an article for the Washington Post. His name is Matthew Bogdanos. And he said, this bond between soldiers, sometimes means being ruthlessly hard, as at Balaclava in 1854. There, the 93rd Highlanders formed a thin red line that stood between the Russian onslaught and the British camp. Sir Colin Campbell commanded the regiment he loved and said, there is no retreat from here, men. You must die where you stand. Colonel Bogdanov said that other times this bond means having compassion. As on Tulagai Island in the South Pacific in 1942. After an all-night attack, Marine Edward Johnny Ahrens lay quietly in his foxhole. He'd been shot twice in the chest. Blood was welling slowly from three deep bayonet wounds. Thirteen dead Japanese soldiers lay nearby, and two others were draped over his legs. Louis Walt was legendarily tough. He was later the assistant commandment of the entire Marine Corps. Gently gathered the dying man in his arms, and Aaron whispered, Captain, they tried to come over me last night, but I don't think they made it. And choking back tears, Walt This tough Marine replied softly, They didn't, Johnny. They didn't. At times it's ruthlessly hard. At times it's full of compassion. And you might wonder, why am I talking about this kind of bond, this sacred bond between soldiers, as I turn to the book of Philippians, as we look at a book that is full of joy? And the reason is, Because if you read this book, 
Paul seems to have the exact same kind of bond with the church there. It's a bond that's tough. They fought together and sometimes they died together. But it's a bond that's compassionate. They also wept together. Paul had this bond with all of the churches that he planted to an extent. The Galatian church, for example, after he had planted it, was in serious danger of forsaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. People had come and told them that they needed to do certain things. They needed to keep part of the law of Moses in order to be saved. And Paul hears about this, and he has the panic of a mother that's watching their child on the edge of a cliff. He writes to them, and you can see his emotion all the way through the Galatian letter. And he says, I am having birth pains as I write this to you. Implying that he loved them as a mother. He felt that kind of bond for the church. And he felt the same sort of panic when they were in danger. Because he knew that if they tried to earn their salvation, any, any work that they tried to add to salvation would mean that they were not trusting in Christ. And it would be deadly. His affection for them is evident in the panic that he experiences as he writes to them. When he writes to the Philippians, he's not panicked. He has no cause for concern. Instead, he celebrates this bond. And this morning, I started the message with an illustration of the kind of bond that soldiers have, because I think all of us know and recognize this is possible, even if you haven't been in the service. I've never served. But we know that it's real, and we hear about it, and it's inspiring. But I want to ask each of you today, have you experienced that in the church? Because Paul says, this is common. This is the experience he has with every church he's been a part of. Even in the ugly sides of church discipline and church fighting. This is the type of bond that he has where they fight together and they cry together. And I believe that many of us have never experienced that. And so this morning, as we look at the bond that Paul had with the Philippian church, I want to ask you, do you have that type of bond with anyone in Christ? Do you have this bond with anyone in Christ? When you hear the name of a pastor or a missionary, have you ever had your heart beat a little bit faster for joy? That might sound weird, but it shouldn't. And I pray that we as a church will be joyfully united in the blood-bought bonds of Christian fellowship. And that we'll grow in it because we've been in the Word today, because we've read what Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Last week I talked a little bit about the structure of the church. How Jesus Christ calls all of us as saints. How leaders are appointed in the church to be overseers and deacons. And I said that you need to be part of a church if you want to experience the joy that Paul is writing about. He's addressing this to a church. He's not addressing it to individual believers. And if you want the healthy experience of the Christian life that Jesus intends for you, it doesn't have to be this church, but you need to be part of a church where you are growing as a body of believers. This week, 
we're going to actually see more of the heart of the church itself. And we're going to see the love that Paul has for the Philippians. And we're going to see the evidence of the love that they have for him. So if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I think it's very important to see this in the scriptures. There are blue Bibles that are under the seats all throughout the sanctuary. So if you don't have one with you, it's on page 830. Page 830 of the blue Bibles. And if you heard Chris, we're going to be getting some ESV Bibles very soon. The blue Bibles are kind of few and far between. There are only a couple in each row. And we're going to try and make sure that they're everywhere, that you have easy access. Because it's important to see the Word of God to know if I'm being faithful to it or not. So beginning in verses 3 through 6, we're going to see the reasons for Paul's praise. The reasons for Paul's praise. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In these first four verses, Paul pours out thankfulness to God because of men like the Philippian jailer and women like Lydia in the Philippian church. We started this series in Acts 16 because I wanted you to picture as clearly as you can faces, individual people, And my hope is that as our missionaries think of us as a church, they'll think of faces. They'll think of individual people that they know that we share this bond with. The bond that the Philippian church formed came as Paul preached Jesus and called people to leave their religion and worship Jesus Christ. The outrageous call to Christ was costly. And we read about it as the entire city was in an uproar. You can see it in Acts 16. When these Christians, like Lydia and the Philippian jailer, first came to Christ, they were burning bridges. Their lives were forever changed. Lydia immediately opened her home and supported Paul's ministry by giving them a place to stay and giving them food. It's very practical. In the same way, a few days later, when Paul and Silas are thrown into jail, when God miraculously causes the the doors to swing open and their chains to break, and the Philippian jailer says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The jailer and his whole household believe and are baptized, and immediately He welcomes them into his home. He does the same thing that Lydia did. He meets their practical needs. He gives to them generously. And that allegiance to Paul was costly. He had just turned the city on its head. They were siding with the guy that religious and political authorities said was dangerous enough to beat and imprison. Paul had caused such an uproar in the city that the city government asked him to leave town, and he did. And you would think that the church would die for lack of leadership. But they didn't. They remained faithful and they grew. And now as Paul thinks of them, he remembers those early days and he prays for them. And before I give you the two reasons that he mentions specifically for his thankfulness, notice two things about his prayer. First, notice how often he prays. He says, verse 4, always 
in every prayer of mine for you all. And he does this at every remembrance of the Philippian church. He is continually and regularly praying for them. And every time he thinks of them, he has this reaction. In some measure, I believe you can test how strong your bonds with your brothers and sisters in Christ are by how often you pray for them. Paul didn't have to make this something that he set his watch to do. It was natural. As they came to memory, he had an emotional reaction. He was thankful for them. And that immediately translated into prayer for them. If that doesn't happen for you as you think of your brothers and sisters in Christ, or as you think of the ministries that we support here, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that something is missing in our Christian fellowship. Notice also how he prays for them. The word that's used twice for prayer here, and I'll read the verse again. He says, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy... That word for prayer is not the usual word for prayer that's used throughout the New Testament. It's used about 18 times and the word is deasis. It's a word that conveys urgency. It's a request for a serious need that you run to God to meet. For example, if you remember in the book of Luke, it opens up with the priest Zechariah and his wife. And they're childless. And as Zechariah is ministering in the temple, an angel appears to him and says, Zechariah, your pleas before God have been heard and you will have a child. If you know someone who has struggled to conceive, someone who wants a baby and can't have one, you'll get a sense of the urgency and the frequency of that kind of plea as they come before God and ask Him for something that is close to their heart. Yet although His prayers are urgent, and although His pleas are heartfelt, it would be a mistake to imply that He's full of anxiety that he pray, as He prays. In actuality, He's full of thankfulness and joy. Can you imagine praying with that mixture of emotions in your heart? With joy and at the same time, earnest entreaties, desperate pleas that aren't motivated from fear and anxiety, but from joy. Paul feels that way when he pleads with God on behalf of the Philippian church, full of thankfulness, full of joy, full of urgency. Do we pray that way? Why does he feel that way? He gives two reasons. The first is their partnership in his ministry. And the second is his confidence that God will finish the work that was started in them when they believed in the gospel. So let's look at verse 5 together. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul writes that right from the beginning, that first day, when he preached by the riverside and Lydia came to Christ and was baptized, along with her whole household, the Philippian church had partnered with him in ministry. As they received the good news that their sins were forgiven because Jesus died for them, they immediately wanted Paul to spread that good news. 
They supported him as he spread it far and wide. Later in this letter, in chapter 4, verse 15, he actually, if you have any doubt about the nature of their faithful support for him, he describes how they entered into partnership with him with giving and receiving as soon as he left Macedonia. So if you imagine, he's chased out of town and immediately goes and preaches Christ in the next town. And before he even leaves that next town, he's only a couple of days away, the Philippian church sends him a gift. Say, if you can use this, continue to spread the word that you've given to us. And I'll remind you, he's writing this letter approximately 10 years after that time. So for 10 years, he can say that they have faithfully had this relationship of giving and receiving as he has continued to bless them with spiritual leadership, even though he's not physically there. And as they have continued to send him support. Now imagine this. Today, if you want to send somebody support, you write a check and pop it in the mail. Or very, very much more likely... It's really easy. All of my missionary friends send out letters and you can actually just have an automatic transfer from your bank account to theirs. It takes maybe 30 seconds to set it up. You don't have to find them in the middle of some urban population. When the Philippian church went to found Paul, he didn't give them a forwarding address. He didn't know where he would be. And yet they were committed to supporting his ministry to the point where they gave someone a gift... And they sent multiple people so that they knew that the gift they set aside for Paul was going to be untouched. That that money would be given for the gospel and for the gospel only. And they supported their messengers as well. They gave their messengers money so that they would have food and lodging as they traveled. Not knowing how long it would take them to find Paul. That was their level of commitment and intentionality in supporting Paul's ministry. And he said they did it from the first day until now. And that's tied in with their faithful commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they have understood that Jesus loved them and gave himself for them. That they are saved. And as a result of their salvation, they want to see that good news spread. They want to see it go further. And so their support for Paul is evidence that they really have believed. And that's why the second thing that Paul notices and praises the Lord for is that God is the one who will finish the work in the Philippian church. So you can imagine the work that Paul starts, starts the day he preaches Jesus Christ. People believe, they're saved, they're baptized. But if you've ever known someone who's come to Christ, God doesn't transform us instantly. And so the work is completed as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And so Paul praises them that this, just like being saved, doesn't depend on you and me. Becoming like Jesus Christ ultimately depends on God. And so in verse 6, the second reason that he's thankful for them is he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Why is he so sure? Well, for two sort of reasons that are sort of equal here. The first reason is he knows that if you have saving faith, God will keep you until the day of Jesus Christ. It depends entirely on God, and he knows that God is faithful and will never fail. The question is, does someone who prays a prayer have genuine saving faith? 
And he says, I'm confident that you do because I can see you over 10 years becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Your faithfulness to the gospel, your faithfulness and support is giving me the confidence that you have saving faith because I see you becoming more like Jesus Christ. So Paul is grateful for them because he knows that they are really part of the family of God. And he takes that as encouragement. So as he thinks of them, he's grateful for their support, but he doesn't really care about money. We're going to see that later on in the book of Philippians. He really could care less because he knows that God will supply his needs. What he cares about is that these people have believed in Jesus Christ and they are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. So Paul is thankful for them. I pray that myself and us as a church, that as the people who led us to Christ think of us, as 10 years goes on, they'll be able to look and say, he's more like Jesus Christ than he was 10 years ago. And I can praise God because I know that his faith is genuine. And I pray that we would give our leaders real joy as we look to Jesus Christ in faith and God continues to do this work in us. The second thing he says is that it's right for him to feel this way. And I said at the beginning, as you read about his sort of enthusiastic affection for these people, it almost seems weird. And I think he knows that. So then he says in verse 7, he argues, it's right that he should feel this way. And he gives two reasons for his affection. Let's read verse 7 together. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, because I hold you in my heart, For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. First notice that he says they all, the entire church. This is not just a couple of people who are passionate about missions. This is the entire church that are excited about what he's doing. That he says they're partakers of grace with me. And they show that in a couple of ways. The first is faithful support while he is in chains. Paul's going to say a little bit more about his imprisonment later in this letter. So I don't want to talk too much about it now. But for now, it's enough to note that even when Paul suffered, the church suffered with him. And yet, even in their suffering, Paul and the church actually receive grace. We think of grace as being really only God's good blessings. And yet, what I believe Paul would have taught them from that first day as he sang praises in the Philippian jail, all the way to ten years later, as he's again in chains, is that you understand how good Jesus Christ is to you when you suffer. And so as Paul suffers, the church suffers with him, and they both see the sufficiency of Christ They see that they know that God will get them through this and that actually he is loving them in the midst of it. And so they are partakers of grace with him while he's in chains. They also partook in grace with him as he spread the gospel. Look again at verse 7 at the end there. He says, In the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Two different ways that he describes how the gospel is going forth. 
He says he both defends and confirms the gospel. Defending it, I think you can watch Paul defend the gospel all throughout the book of Acts and in letters like Galatians, in letters like Romans. He'll argue with you from the scriptures, from the Old Testament, and say, this is why I believe Jesus is the Savior. And in Acts 17, he argues with a bunch of people that don't know the Old Testament scriptures. So he uses any means he can to demonstrate that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He defends the gospel by arguing that it's true. What does he mean by it's confirmed? I believe he means his life and the lives of those who place their faith in Jesus show the gospel to be true as they're changed. You remember that Paul once hated Jesus. The gospel was confirmed in his life when he worshipped Jesus Christ as Lord. And I believe the gospel continues to be proclaimed today, and it continues to be confirmed as people have their lives transformed and changed forever because they believe, and from the inside out, God changes them. You can argue with someone all day long. When Paul was at Athens, there were some people that flat out rejected, said this is nonsense. Sometimes arguing isn't the most persuasive thing, but it's really difficult to argue with a life that's completely changed. I was at a church service last night that was actually celebrating 10 years of ministry under the guy who's serving there now. And he told story after story of how broken lives were healed and people who thought Christianity was frankly stupid were coming to bow at the feet of Jesus in worship. And he was real honest. He said, I can't take any credit for this because I didn't think any of it would happen. As God does ministry through people, the praise needs to go directly to God. He told one story in particular about this giant man. He said he was like 250 pounds, 6'5". And his, his kids were coming into the church. His kids and his wife were. But he was an atheist. And he called them and he went into his office. And he, he said, looking at a Bible, you believe this? And he went down all of the stuff that sometimes Christians are unfortunately embarrassed about. The flood. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fiery furnace. Jonah and the well. You believe all that? And the pastor there said, Yeah. He's thinking, this guy is a giant, a monster. This might be the last time I confess Christ. And the guy said to him, all right, I'm going to let my kids come here for a little while because they're, they're being a little bit more well-behaved. But if you cross the line, we're out of here. Said, all right. Just a little while later, this giant starts coming to church with his wife. And this atheist who made fun of the scriptures that mocked belief now worships at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And his life is changed forever. I'm telling that story because it's recent and I heard it last night. But many of you can tell similar stories. Many of you have similar stories. How you came to Christ and Jesus Christ rescued you, and the gospel is confirmed in your life. And that's why Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. 
Because I know that you've believed and you have been a partaker with me of grace as I have suffered and as I have preached and as we have seen the gospel show itself to be true over and over and over again. For all of these reasons, Paul longs to be with the Philippian church in person because they have a rich and a deep fellowship. And so in verse 8, you can see his heart-bursting godly love for this entire church. Let's read verse 8 again. He says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The affection of Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul says elsewhere, The Lord Jesus loved him and laid down his life for him. That's the level of affection that Jesus Christ has for you and for Paul and for everyone. And Paul says, that's the level of affection that I have for you as a church. God is my witness. I'm not lying. I open the service talking about soldiers who have a level of affection that they lay down their lives for each other. It's not an exaggeration to say that Paul has this level of affection for the church in Philippi. And I think to us it sounds strange because many of us are missing it when it should be part of our regular experience in Christian fellowship. As I close today, I want to give you two examples that demonstrate that this is real and it can happen today. And I pray that it does happen in our church as we become this kind of joyful fellowship that Paul testifies to here. The first is personal. The first, I, you know, none of you guys actually know the people I'm going to talk about. But I can tell you it's real because I've experienced this with people that I love who are serving Jesus Christ. So two of the people I know from college, husband and wife, they're currently serving in the Middle East. And I, I won't give you their names. They actually ask that people not use their real names because they're serving in an area that's honestly dangerous. They loved me and supported me in an incredible way when I was in college because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to this day, when I get an email from one of them, this is going to sound weird, but it's almost like when I first started dating my wife. If you got a phone call or an email or, you know, back then it was an instant message, you would stop everything. It's like you had tunnel vision and you went deaf until you read or heard that communication, nothing else mattered and no one else existed. I can testify to this day. I got an email from him about two weeks ago and the same thing happened. My kids were playing on the floor. Lauren was in the kitchen and it was just tunnel vision. Normally we do this too much on our phones anyway, but I'm saying in this instance, it's actually a good thing. It's a sign of the affection that I have for these two people who are putting their lives on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have been faithful missionaries for 10 years. When I hear from them, my heart beats a little faster. And I'm saying to you, it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love the fellowship that we have with them. We heard not very long after they were on the field, the New York Times reported that someone in their country who was a humanitarian aid worker and a school teacher had been murdered. And one of my friends who knew of me and knew that I knew people there said, was this your friend? And I said, that... Like the way the Times described it, I said, I don't think so, but man, I don't know. And they're also not fantastic at, at constantly emailing because it's like in a war zone. Email is not your top priority. So a couple months went by before I heard them. And they said, no, it wasn't us. But 
It was a team member that we served with. And they watched his murder on YouTube. These are people who are serving on the front lines. They, just like Paul, are risking their lives. And I will tell you today, without shame, I love them both. Do you have anyone in your fellowship that you experience that kind of bond with in Jesus Christ? I want to suggest to you that some of you do, and I'll tell you why. Because when we saw Jim Clark's memorial service here, Many of you testified to your service with him at camp. Camp is one of those places where you expect to hear from God and your singing is rich and exciting and enthusiastic. And many of you testified over and over again that you knew that Jim was a solid guy who loved the Lord and his testimony was strong. And I think your affection for him is a taste of what Paul is talking about here. But I think we can all grow as a church. My prayer is that 10 years from now, as we look back on today and remember each other, we will all praise God with an attitude of thankfulness like Paul has here. Because we all believe the same gospel. We are all being transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And as I close this message today, I want to ask you, each of you, What could possibly stop us from having this experience? Why isn't it normal? Why is it that when we look at this, we think Paul is maybe a little bit crazy? And I think there are a couple of reasons that get right to the heart of it. I think the first one is for many of us, the gospel is not part of our daily experience. The gospel is something you believed when you were saved. But you take it for granted and you go and live the rest of your life without thinking about it. So that when you see people who are serving the Lord, you're thankful for them. We support them financially. But you can go years without thinking about them. And when you hear their names, you go, oh, where are they serving again? That's not good. And I want to suggest to you that the reason... That we struggle to maintain relationships with our missionaries beyond just a monthly check, which is good, but it also isn't this. The reason we struggle to maintain these relationships is because the gospel isn't gripping our hearts. And I want to ask you today, if that's you, I want to encourage you to look to Jesus Christ again and remember what he has done for you. Remember that your sins have been forgiven. And feel the urgency of spreading that message. The other reason I think sometimes it's easy to lose this joy is even if the gospel is real to you, we let ourselves get distracted and we don't keep in touch with our missionaries like we should. Or we feel like that's the job of the people on the missions board, so they're going to do the grunt work but you might not have a relationship with them. I want to encourage you today. My prayer is that we would be like the Philippian church for our missionaries, that they would think of us and be full of joy because they know that we believe the same gospel and that we're not only writing them a check every month, but that we are also faithfully praying for them, that they hear from us and not just from the pastor or from the head of the missions team, But from just anybody in the congregation, remember Paul says, all of you, 
not just a couple people who are on fire for world missions. The whole church feels this way. And so I want to challenge you this week. Spend some time with the Lord in prayer. Grow closer to Him. And also, I would encourage you to commit to contacting one of our missionaries. Most of them have email addresses. It's actually pretty easy to get in touch with them. Let them know that you thank God for the work that they're doing. And be an encouragement to them. Faithfully support them in prayer. And as I close, let me pray for us and let's ask God to help us in this. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you have been so good to us. And we praise you and thank you that you are the one who does the work of saving people and you are the one who continues to keep us until the day of Jesus Christ. Father, I ask for your forgiveness when sometimes our hearts grow cold. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us with a greater love, a greater affection. I pray that you would make our fellowship here richer and deeper as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us and the fellowship that we have in Christ. And Lord, I ask that you would bless us, that we would be faithful in supporting the missionaries we have, Lord, that you would raise up missionaries from our church who would continue to spread the gospel. Lord, I ask that you would help us to spread it here in Holly. And I pray that no matter where we go in life, that we would have this rich, incredible fellowship that would fill us with joy and thankfulness. May we be faithful in prayer. May we be faithful in service. In Jesus' name, amen.